This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello, uh, welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am going to answer a couple of questions for comments of the week. We are going to have Woody on here for another Woody's Top 5, and that's going to be pretty much the bulk of the podcast today. But before that, a little update on what's going on with the season, what's going on with me. I am a hunter in the Central Flyway. I'm located in Kansas, and right now we've got our waterfowl season throughout the entire state ends Sunday. And I think that's pretty much true for everyone in North America, as far as I know. I don't know if there's anyone that goes in past the 28th. I'm not sure, but I think most everyone ends it on the 28th. So I have not been on a waterfowl hunt since the 7th of January, um, or was it the 8th, 7th or 8th? And I have missed, uh, this is the least that I have hunted in January for many, many years. If you've been following, you know, it's because I had that heart attack and, and I couldn't get out in weather under 25 degrees. But thankfully, the weather has switched. Fortunately for that, but unfortunately, I think that the most waterfowl are going to be in my portion of the central flyway in about 10 days. Now we've got mallards. We've definitely have mallards. There are definitely birds around, but the way that it works at this time of year is these birds ride the ice line. The, the mass amounts of birds ride the ice line and starting on Monday, 
we were getting temperatures above freezing and, and, and temperatures staying above freezing for the entire cycle of the day. Um, if I'm looking at the weather right now, tomorrow's going to be 39, Friday 40, Saturday 39, and lows only 33, 33. And we're getting rain too, which is a good thing because rain helps thaw ice. But what we need, we need ice to be lifted off of the lakes, lifted off the marshes. And when that happens and that ice line that runs laterally moves, starts moving north, here comes the reverse migration. It's coming. And we are just missing what would likely be the most mallards you will ever see in the central flyway and uh, moving back up north. And we're just missing it. Monday, it's going to be 52 and sunny. Tuesday, 54, 56, 54, 58, 56. So we are going to have the mass push of those mallards heading back north here. We are just missing it. That doesn't mean that there's not good hunting to be had, but it's just going to be harder. The lakes were at six to eight inches of ice. Now the marshes are going to, are going to thaw first. And the, the big question is for me, cause I can't hunt till Saturday and Sunday. The, the big question for me is, is this warm up been enough to create any open water on the marshes at all? Some of my river spots have been frozen, even though they have ripples. Are those going to be coming open? And if so, are the birds going to find it? So I've got a friend coming up here, Nate, from Falling Tide TV. If you have never watched that channel, check it out on YouTube. I had him. I hunted with him twice this year already, and you can see those videos on my channel. Great guy. We see eye-to-eye on so many waterfowl topics, and ethically, we just see eye-to-eye had so much fun hunting with him. He came up towards the beginning of November and we had two just absolutely phenomenal hunts. Shot a lot of green wing teal, but we ended those hunts off with each a pintail. And then I shot a mallard drake on the last one. Just, I'm going to rank at some point. I'm going to do an episode where I go over my five or three to five favorite hunts of the whole season. And it would be hard for me to not put those in there those kind of two days in a row exact same place man they were fun hunts so he and his wife and his his little daughter are coming up here and we're going to close this season out and i really really want to get him on birds he lives down there in louisiana and they don't get many mallards clear down where he's at they don't get many mallards so man i hope that we can get him on some serious mallards and i know they're around we just got to find them just got to find them so he's going to be here thursday evening I've got my cardio cardiac rehab on Friday afternoon. So I'm going to make a progression of scouting for Nate. Um, and then hopefully we can really get at him hard on Saturday. Also golden boy, my buddy Aiden, he's going to be scouting Thursday and Friday. So the big thing is we need this ice to thaw. We need South winds. We need the ice to thaw. Now we don't have a lot of South winds coming up. Um, during this during this time frame, but that's okay. If if it's thawing, I think the birds will find it, and I think we will close out this year um, with some really nice pair of hunts. So I'm I'm kind of got my fingers crossed on that. I'm so excited to get back out, man! I'm so excited to get back out because for me, it's been a I have 
I have not shot many Mallard Drakes this year. I think I'm at 17. If I look at the North American Waterfowler app that I had created, I'm at 17. And that's way below what I normally shoot in a year. Well, I don't way below. I don't shoot, you know, tons and tons of Mallards. I shoot somewhere between 25 to to 40 Mallards, kind of in that range. It's kind of average for me. Um, but 17 is definitely on the low side. So if I could finish with one, with, let's say I shoot, uh, a limit on Saturday that put me at, at 22 and I'd be really, really happy with that. I'd be really, really happy to close the season. It has been just an absolutely phenomenal waterfowl season. It really has, even though the mallard numbers have been a little bit low, I've shot more ducks this year than I've ever shot. And beyond that, the experiences that I have had this year and the hunts that I have, have just been just a, a blast, a blast. And at some point, as soon as season ends and that depression kind of kicks, and I'll probably go back to my videos and watch all of the videos that I put out and see that progression through my videos, which is the whole reason that I started filming my hunts anyway. I did not start filming so that I could put them on YouTube for people to watch. I started filming so that I could watch, so that I could remember. So I'll probably do that. I've got, I think, 25 videos out now is what I've got. I'll probably go through those and spin, you know, watch a couple a night, um, knock those out in a couple weeks, and, and that'll be really, really fun. So I definitely next week will let you know how we've done and, and how this week ends, weekend ends, hunting season ends, and it'll be my last hunt update probably of the year. Although I may do a little goose hunting um, in February. We still have two weeks of that. I may, I may. I may st stick with it. In fact, I, pr I probably will. I probably will stick with it. Um, since I didn't get a lot of hunting in in January, I'll probably see if I can get on some goose hunting. So I'll bring that to you guys and let you guys know how we do, how I do. Should be a great close to the season. I hope that you guys are getting out and getting after it as well. So before we do the comments of the week, I've got two comments of the week today. And then we'll get into Woody's. But before we do that, let me talk to you about the partners. The first one I want to share with you is Final Approach, FABrand.com. And as I've been telling you, they've got a lot of deals, a lot of sales going on. So go to FABrand.com. FDH channel gets you 10% off. And they are a company on the rise. I will tell you that once Rogers became involved in that company, they are soaring up in reputation. I can promise you that, fabrand.com. So if you don't get on there now, just remember it. Remember that that name, Vital Approach, fabrand.com. And when it comes time, because we all know that we buy stuff during the off-season, sometime between now and August, you're probably going to buy some things. So just take a look at what they've got, FDH10 for the code there. Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader, keep them in mind. Also, if you don't run... Uh, motion ducks and you're running a traditional jerk rig or you don't run a jerk rig at all, I promise you, you're not going to regret having the motion duck system. That is FDH 10 for 10.10% off as well. It is something that you need in your arsenal. Something my dad and I have talked about for years and years and years. And our goal has always been to acquire enough gear to be able to hunt any situation at any time. And I have not fully achieved that. The thing that I'm really lacking on right now is any type of field decoys. I don't have a field spread. So if I found 
a bunch of mileage in a field, I would struggle at it because I just I need I need some more decoys to be able to handle that. But the the jerk rig, the water motion, that is one of those components to where it's a no wind day. There are stale birds. You go in there with a four to seven set of motion ducks, and that's all you've got. I'm telling you, it's the way to go. So check them out. And then as always, on X hunt. Get the app, become a better waterfowl hunter. So many different things you can do on there that will improve your waterfowl game. I mentioned this last week, being a student of the game as far as waterfowling goes. And Onyx is one of those assets you can use to help you. So let's, now that we've talked about the sponsors, um, and if you do want to support me, you can go to um, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Come on over and join us over there for more content, more fun. All right, it is now time to jump into the comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the week. All right, now I've got two comments here, both of them from the same person. I'm going to work through these as I read them because I just don't know. I don't know the answers to these. And before I do that, remember, if you have a question or a comment that you would like to be considered for comment of the week, Get to me at Instagram on Instagram, Freelance Duck Hunting, Facebook page, uh, the North American Waterfowler podcast, or you can just email me, FreelanceDuckHunting at gmail.com. All right, here we go. He says, I'm bored. I got two fun questions. Number one, I shot a goose yesterday. It sailed on the river and couldn't find it. Today, another group floated down and asked if we shot the goose because they said it couldn't fly. We were able to get it. Do I count that as a lost goose or harvested goose? Is he talking about the the statistics side of it? Because I know he has an account on the North American Waterfowler app, and one of those um, things we track is lost birds. So I'm going to go from that vantage point. In my personal records, what do I count that as? Now, this is a tough one. Because as soon as you dispatch a wounded bird, that's in your daily bag. So if he's out there and he's goose hunting, and I don't know what his limit is where he shoot, where he's at, but here it's five. Let's say I harvest that goose. I can only harvest four others. So if I in, ended with, let's say, my limit of five, and that bird was one of them, then what I would do is I would log in on the app that I shot five geese that day, and but yet I would go back to yesterday's, and I would probably edit that hunt, and I would, I would take off the lost bird, is what I would do. I wouldn't count a lost bird on my that that is I absolutely detest that loot lost bird number. I've lost three this year, which is not bad. Um, but I've lost three this year and I, 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 I would feel justified in erasing that off the previous day records. I would say, Hey, I'm pretty sure that was that bird. I'm taking it off there. Um, or you could always go back and just say, well, I'm going to count today as four harvest and I'm gonna go ahead and count that one as yesterday, either one, but I definitely would take off the lost goose. Um, so I think that's the direction he's going. 
with that with that question, that's going to count as a harvested bird and not a just um, it, it's got to count as a harvested bird. And I would take that lost goose off there. All right. Comment number two. Uh, this is actually in the form of a question. We have a farm we hunt. It's a working farm, but it's used as a tourist attraction. Um, they have two pet swans, two pet ducks for people to look at when they're on the pond. They have an aerator to keep the pond open. In the winter when it's closed, local mallards come in and breed with the tame ducks and eat all their food. The local inspector has asked the farmer to get rid of the ducks, and we went in and we got permission and we hunted it. Actually, the farmer wanted us to hunt it. We th he thanked us over and over for helping him get rid of the wild ducks. This is technically hunting over bait and tame ducks, but it's not meant for them, and the farmer and inspector just wanted rid of them. Is this ethical? Oh, man. <laughs> so wild ducks are coming in because of the food that's given to the tame ducks, breeding with the tame ducks. And they, they're, they're trying to shut this farmer's farmer down though. Just wants him to get rid of the ducks at all, because I guess it's presenting a big problem. I don't know why I, I don't quite understand the inspector part. Like the local inspectors coming in and, and like what he doesn't want to breed the wild breeding with the tame. What's the inspector's deal. That's, I don't quite understand that part of it. So really I think it comes down to this. The farmer views the this as a real problem and wants the problem solved. So he wants the hunters to come in and hunt them to rid himself of the problem, to, to, to deter the wild ducks, ducks from ever coming in there. Now, that's technically baiting because there's food out and that's what the ducks are coming to. I would think that would technically be illegal. So I don't. It's going to be hard for me to to tell each and every individual, you know, whether this is ethical or not ethical. I can only take it from my perspective, like what I do it would if I knew the situation and I knew I could go in there and hunt that. Is that something that I personally would do? And I'd have to say I personally wouldn't do it. Because. I live my life by a risk reward system. What's the risk? What's the reward? The reward of this is shooting mallards in a very unique situation and um, having a great hunt. That's the reward. The risk is whatever, if you get caught, if I got caught, um, what are the penalties for baiting and what are the repercussions? And myself with having a podcast, having a YouTube channel, I certainly wouldn't ever want the word getting out that I killed ducks over um, baited ducks, whether this is a different situation. I mean, obviously this is, this is not a scenario when the bait has been put there to attract wild ducks and kill them. It's like the farmer wants this problem taken care of and the hunters are, pro pro are providing a service to take care of the problem for the farmer so he can keep his ducks there for when the tourists come and, and all of that. But for me, I don't know what the penalty is of going on a hunt where it's would be legally considered baiting, but I wouldn't want to risk that legality. That, that risk to me seems worse than the reward 
Now, the person that sent me this, are they being unethical? I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you're being unethical. There are times that most of us look at a law or regulation and say, you know what? That regulation wasn't meant for this circumstance, so I'm going to go ahead and just ignore it. A prime example is when I get up to go hunting in the morning, <clears throat> I get up, I drive down my road for about 10 miles. I live in the country in the middle of nowhere. There's two stop signs on that road. No one's on that road at three, four o'clock in the morning. And there are times when I breeze right through that stop sign. I know it's illegal that I breeze through that stop sign, but I'm like, you know what? It's three 30 in the morning. I can look both ways. This is in the middle of nowhere, and and I think it's perfectly acceptable for me to breeze through that stop sign. So there are times when I have done that, and I'm sure that most of you are the same way. There's times where you're like, well, you know, it's fine. But in this particular instance for myself, the risk of um, get, getting caught, I guess, or the risk of the perception that I'm an unethical hunter and that I am successful with duck hunting because I shoot ducks over bait. And that to me, no way am I going to risk that for, for just to shoot a few mallards like that. There's just no way I'm going to risk it. So I don't think I have anything else to say on that. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will jump into Woody's top five. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, boys, let's get this wrapped up so we can get back to hunting. Yeah, it's a Woody. I'd like to welcome on Woody. How are you hey. doing today? I love talking to you a couple times a month. What you got for us? Well, listen, I... I'm going to have to give you a little advance warning. If I if I suddenly disappear for a few moments, it's cause. Uh, well, you see, Miss Miss Larnetta had a few errands we needed to run today in town after work, and I knew I had to get back home. I didn't want her to have to come home and cook up something real quick. I said, "Why don't we just run get grab us something to eat real quick in town?" And so we stopped by the the Great Wall China Buffet. Now. You know I had a bad experience. Remember me telling you about the uh, hibachi grill situation with that yes. wasabi bean? Yeah. Okay. So 
Now, the Chinese place, I, I like it better because I can kind of pick out what it is I want to eat. I don't have to I don't have, to have somebody throwing it at me. So we went to the, the Chinese buffet restaurant tonight, and well, I, they had some. I like them little, uh, them little cream cheese Rangoon deals. I like those. Oh yeah, those are good. They had, uh, they had some stuff. I'm assuming was chicken, by the looks of it and the taste of it. They had a, well, they had all kinds of good stuff tonight. I just, I, I couldn't help myself. I ate quite a bit, probably more than I needed to. Tell you. We, it's about 30-minute drive from town back to home, and we got about 15 minutes from home, and I remembered suddenly why we don't go to the Chinese buffet that much anymore. See, Ellie, the older, well, the older I get, the, uh, the more sensitive my digestive system gets, especially to, to <laughs> things that sit out on a buffet all day long. And Here we go. Woo, something started rolling inside of me. And uh, that was a, there was a lot of, there's a lot of sweating, a lot of moaning, a lot of clenching going on between here and, <laughs> and they, they, ain't a, they ain't a gas station, a, a rest area, not even a real solid tree to lean up against between here and there. <laughs> so I was, I was hurting on the way home. We got here. I told Miss Larnetta, she's going to have to unload the groceries herself because I got to get to the house. <laughs> My stomach's still kind of giving me a little gurgle, gurgle here and there. So, just in case I run off, you'll know what's going on. All right, tonight I've got you made it. Oh yes, yes indeed. Yeah, I uh, I was already considering what it was going to cost to have the the seat of my pickup truck steam cleaned, <laughs> <laughs> or what the resale value of it was. I might have had to put it on Facebook Marketplace. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we made it. It was close call, but. We, we pulled out a win in the end. All right, number five tonight of the top five ways to avoid sinking your boat. Avoid mm. sinking your boat. Top five mm. ways to avoid sinking your boat. Now, number five is to keep a tube of silicone caulking and a Coke can in the boat. Now, you might be thinking, why in the world would you want silicone caulking and a Coke can? But that's two things right there. Other than fixing the motor tube of silicone caulking and a Coke can get you out of just about any kind of situation if you're mm. taking on water. You see, a lot of people don't understand silicone. They think, well, if a boat's wet, the silicone won't stick to it. But that's not true. In fact, and this is true science right here. Silicone caulking, when it gets wet, it starts hardening up even quicker. So if you used to get mm. a, boat, a hole punched in your boat, you can get a big gob of that silicone caulking and rub it on there, and it'll go ahead and harden up right away and hold water. Now, you may have to pull really? the boat up on the bank or something, but yeah, it'll actually hold water. And then if you got a Coke can with you, you got a Coke can, you can cut the top off of that Coke can, use it to bail water. But what I've also had to do a time or, well, at least twice, you can cut a square of that aluminum Coke can out, put you a big gob of silicone caulking on there, and you got a patch, stick it right mm. on that hole. It'll hold water. Really? at least long enough to get back to the boat ramp. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's that's you know, a good tip. If uh, if somebody that's hunting with you happens to be a little trigger happy and shoots a hole in the bottom of your boat, you can actually patch it up that way. And I ain't going to tell the story on that one because I ain't necessarily gotten over that whole deal yet, but it wasn't Lim Parsons. <laughs> oh, no, that I don't believe. Oh, no, Lim, Lim's pretty good. He, he ain't... He, 
the shotgun shells cost too much for him. He's so cheap. He uh, he don't want to waste one pulling the trigger when he ain't when he ain't ready to. Anyhow, number four, number four is, and this is kind of ties back into that one is don't vote with strangers. <laughs> don't go out in a boat with somebody that you ain't pretty confident knows what they're doing in a boat. I've made that mistake a time or two. I'm sure you have too. But uh, probably 20, yeah, I'd say 20 years ago now, me and Miss Larnetta was still young and newly married, and I felt like I owed her family something. And so they, she, <laughs> her cousin, she had a cousin from a couple states over. He'd come visit every now and then. His name was Earl. And old Earl, he didn't like to hunt, but he did like to fish. And so he talked me into going out on the river. He said, come on, let's, let's go out there on the river, see if we can catch us some big old catfish. So we headed out middle of July. It was about 145 degrees outside. <laughs> we took the boat out, pulled up on a sandbar on the river, and sat there and baked in the sun for about five hours. Well, old Earl, he, he kind of fell asleep, took him a nap for a while, Every time I'd get ready to start to fire up the motor, he'd wake up. Hey, hey, hang on now. Now, I think I just got a bite. We sat there all day long, sweltered, got a sunburn, never caught a darn fish at all. When we got ready to go, he said, hang on now. Before we go, I'm going to have to empty my bladder because I, I, I drank a lot of water. And, and he drank him two or three big old cherry Cokes while we were sitting there. He said, I'm going to have to drain my bladder out. So he went to stand up, and he'd sat there with his legs kind of tucked underneath him for about five hours. And I guess he didn't realize it, but his legs had gone sound asleep on him. So when he went to stand up, his legs were just like jello. <laughs> oh, no. And he tripped. And he stumbled from one end of that boat to the other, back and forth, and me trying to stop him from falling. And about the time he zigged, I zagged, and the both of us went right over the edge of the boat and rolled the whole darn thing off of that sandbar right into the water. Oh, no. Fortunately, the, the current wasn't real strong right there, but... I don't know. We lost two or three fishing poles. Of course, they were mine because he didn't bring any with him. And probably 25 or $30 worth of catfish bait and lost a good igloo cooler. <laughs> I was so mad. I nearly left him out there for the Coast Guard to find. But we finally gathered up everything, pulled the boat up on the bank, had to drain it out, get all the water out of it, had to take the carburetor off of the motor because it filled up with water. Finally got it all cleaned out and made it back to the house right at dark. And Elliot, I kid you not, old Earl, we got back to the house, pulled in the driveway. He said, you think we can go tomorrow? I said, you know what, Earl, I'd love to go, but I think I'm busy tomorrow. <laughs> I never took him fishing again. Oh, man. I don't think he listens to the podcast, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, number three, number three, the top five ways to not sink your boat, and that is get a bigger boat. These I see these guys getting out on the lake, these little old 10 and 12 foot long John boats taking off out across there when there's white cap water flowing and the wind just blowing the gale. And I, I mean, that's that there ain't nothing funny about it to me. That's life and death. And that, it kind of scares me to see them out there. But if you're going to get out on the big water, get you a darn boat that'll that'll actually keep you alive. Now, I know, well, I know a lot of these fellas say, well, my wife ain't going to let me spend that kind of money. 
But if you if you talk a little reason to her and explain to her that investing in a bigger boat is basically investing in your own personal safety, then she'll typically understand it. Cut you loose. Go ahead and get that 18-footer, 20, 22, you know, go, go big or go home. <laughs> and uh, I think, you, you know, I think you've talked about it before. They probably have the same kind of feeling. You see somebody in a little 12-foot John boat out on the lake. You just, you know, it's inevitable. Something bad's going to happen. No doubt, man. Boats are a tricky thing. I've had my few share of problems with boats. That is for sure. Yes, so. yes, you have. And so that takes me to number two. I kind of hoped you'd say something. Because <laughs> <laughs> number two is be careful who you let sit in the front of the boat with the flashlight. <laughs> Now, I seem to remember a situation with you and old Fumbles where you you guys were here. Well, Fumbles was trusting somebody. And I think it was you to kind of keep an eye <laughs> yeah. on things out in front of the boat. I, I did. I did not. I let down my flashlight duty for sure. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I'm just giving you a hard time. That, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to it's hard to avoid that kind of thing. But um uh, and me and old Liam, there's been several times when, you know, we're running up the river or we're running across a lake or something, and he'll he'll say, look out, but he's facing away from me where I can't hear him. I'm sitting back there with that motor running right in my ear, and I can't hear nothing anyhow. And he'll holler something. Before I know it, we're stuck on a stump or <laughs> – I hate to admit it. I hope Miss Larnetta ain't listening, but we've gone airborne a couple times. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's amazing what a big old log about three inches underneath the water will do to a 20-foot aluminum boat. <laughs> It'll send it flying. It sure will. That's it why you sure get your 20, that's why you get you a 20-foot boat, though. That way you don't flip it over as easy. All right, number two. Be careful who you, oh, wait, no, I already covered that. I'm sorry. Number one. Number one. Best way to avoid sinking your boat. Now, I've said a lot of good things about Lim, but the fact of the matter is, that boy's, he ain't always real trustworthy when it comes to personal belongings, especially when they're my personal belongings. So number one is do not let Lim Parsons borrow your boat. I think I've told you before. <laughs> I let Lim borrow my boat years ago. He showed back up with a, a pickup truck and an empty trailer. I said, Lim, where's my boat? <laughs> he said, well, I, it's at the lake. I said, what do you mean it's at the lake? He said, well, it come up a heck of a storm. I said, I, I don't need a weather report, Lim. What? Where's my boat? He said, well, it's, it, he said, you see, it come up a heck of a rainstorm. I was afraid the boat was going to fill up with water, so I pulled the plug out. <laughs> oh, geez. He sunk my boat in about 30 foot of water. <laughs> oh, good grief. <sighs> we got it back, though. I think I told you about that. He ended up mooning all them Pentecostal ladies. Yeah, all right. That I do remember that event of him mooning the Pentecostal. I don't know why you never told what happened to bring about that, but <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we uh, we decided to go out and well, we not we Liam did. He had no air compressor. It was mounted on a push lawnmower. So we got my twenty dollar canoe, me and him, and the push air compressor. <laughs> we paddled out there about where he thought that boat had sunk. See, skim you. Uh, skim. Uh, Lim, he used to take skin diving lessons, and uh, he was going to be an underwater welder. 
there's a little unfortunate event occurred with the welding instructor and limb and after the funeral and the investigation and all, <laughs> old Lim got to keep all the skin diving uh, equipment. And so we paddled out there in that canoe. He put his skin diving stuff on and he went diving off in the water. And, uh, but all he had on, old Lim, he don't wear a shirt half the time. He just had overhauls and a, an old dirty, nasty white boxer shorts on. So when he dove in the water, he took his overalls off, left them lay there in the boat and he dove in and got busy he, he dove down and got a couple of he brought a couple of uh all them old rubber inner tubes you put in like a tractor tire he took the inner tubes down there and tied them onto the boat under the water and then he took the hose from that air compressor down and he hooked it on and pumped them inner tubes up and floated the boat up to the top and so I, I i had to applaud him it was pretty ingenious way to get it i didn't think we'd ever get it back that because we talked to one fellow about salvaging it he was going to charge me more than the boat was worth to, to bring it up so anyhow we got the boat floated up to the top but it was upside down and full of full of air sorry full of water suction down to the to the lake so we just paddled all the way back across to the all the way back across to the boat ramp there and when we got there that boat was was stuck in the water we couldn't hardly get it lifted we were messing with it and here come a, a game warden he come driving down the ramp. He said, well, boys, I see you're out there out on the water. I, I, I guess you've been fishing. <laughs> I said, well, in a manner of speaking, yes, but no, we're just trying to get my boat back. He said, well, I'm assuming you've got a, a license for that boat. I said, well, yeah. Yeah, it's got a license on it. When we get it flipped over, you'll be able to see the numbers. He said, no, I mean that other one you're in. I said, well, this is just a canoe. I don't think it requires a license, does it? He said, if it's got a motor, it does. I said, well, this boat ain't got a motor. We paddled it out there. He said, well, what's that sitting right there? I said, I know you ain't going to believe me, but that's an air compressor. Oh, and once he saw gosh. the boat, <laughs> he got a good laugh out of it. We stand there shooting the breeze. Then Lim, now see, under at the time, Lim was out there tugging on the boat. He's up to about his chest in the water, so you couldn't see nothing. About that time, here come a, here come a van down the boat ramp. And it was the local Pentecostal church. They was going to have a baptismal service there. The <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so we, you know, we didn't want to be in the way and cause no trouble. <laughs> so, oh, Lim, he come walking up out of the water there. Well, in the process of all the skin diving and the pumping and the paddling and everything, <laughs> them ratty old boxer shorts Lim had on come off and he didn't realize <laughs> he's, he's naked as a jaybird <laughs> he come walking oh out of the water God. I looked over at him I said Lim son you ain't got no pants on so <laughs> I threw him his overalls he wrapped them around him and ran over they had a porta potty sitting there he ran over to the porta potty put his overalls on he got back just in time to to sing shall we gather at the river with all the rest of them. <laughs> they went ahead and did their baptismal service and then after it was all over the, the the preacher thanked us for letting us we're letting him have the service there and i said hey preacher i don't mean to i don't want to impose but we got this boat flipped over here and that thing it probably weighs 800 pounds is there any way you can help us roll it on <laughs> So they got all the, they all got out there about twenty of them, and they helped us flip that boat over and bail the water out of it, and get it back on the trailer. And so we ended up putting that canoe up on top of the boat and getting back home that night. But 
Woo, it was an adventure, I tell you. Oh, man. That Anyhow, is... there you go. There's your top five. And uh, if you want to avoid that type of situation, don't sink your boat. I am so glad that you told that because long ago you mentioned Lim Moon and the Pentecostal women. Or the, uh, uh, mm. And I'd always wondered in my mind what mm-hmm. had taken place to bring that event to pass. Mm. So uh, that closes the case on something that I've wondered about many, many times. <laughs> if he'd have come about two more steps out from behind that boat, they'd have had a revival break out there. If they'd seen no win with no pants on. Oh, good grief. All right. Well, I sure do appreciate you coming and spending a little bit of your time with us. Uh, talk to you in two more weeks. All right. I'll be here. All right. Thank you so much, guys. And this has been another edition of Woody's Top 5. Well, there you go. That was another one from Woody. And I'll always love talking to him. That's all I have for you today. I will try to have another episode out early next week. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.